This is my first time preaching in uh, in this series of the book of Philippians. We're in week seven, and this is my first time. And so really, really excited about it. Um, this was, the book of Philippians was a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Philippi. Um, and this letter encourages the original audience and us today per, to pursue Jesus with joy in the midst of dark times. And that's so I just want to set up um, this passage. This way, I want you to stand with me as Grady comes to the front. He is going to read our passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Go for it, Grady. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Awesome. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, We are, our church um, and also our youth ministry, we believe that the Bible is inspired. It's not just a regular book that should collect dust on a shelf, but it's alive and it's active and it's for us today. And so we take time each and every Wednesday, about 30 minutes to to walk through a text and um, just teach what it has to say. And if you were to kind of summarize these four verses um, and kind of Just give it a summary. Give it a main thought. I think it says this. We've obtained salvation through faith in Jesus, but we are continually being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The words sanctified and Holy Spirit are not present in this text. Um, You will not find those words, but these ideas and these principles are within verses 12 through 16. and we're going to talk further about that in this message, but I want to I want us to take some time. I want us to lay a bit of a foundation to help us understand what is going on in this big picture in in all of chapter three. So we talked through, or Zach taught through uh, chapter three verses one through eleven last week. Now we're in verses twelve through sixteen. But we need to remember that Paul did not write this letter to this church in Philippi with chapter breaks or with verse breaks. He wrote this as a letter. You guys don't, maybe you write in paragraphs, but if you were to write a letter to a friend or some a pen pal across the U.S. or across the, the pond, you wouldn't put chapters and verses. Like, this is just a personal letter to them. These chapters and verses were later added to help bring clarity and structure to um, these passages. And so we need to, we need to know that because um, it's important because verses of 1 through 11 and 12 through 16 are all connected and they need to be read together. Um, so we need to remember what was verses 1 through 11 about. So when Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this. So what he's talking about is he's referencing what he just wrote about in verses 1 through 11, which was laying out who he was before his conversion. Um, Before his conversion, his goal was to be the perfect Jew who followed the Jewish law in its entirety. And here's the thing. His goal was not to know God. His goal as a Pharisee, the Hebrew of all Hebrews, as he said in that passage, it was not to know God, but it was to be perfect. 
And if you were here last week, part of what Zach spoke about was a group of people called the Judaizers. So these were Jews teaching Gentiles who were not Jews, um, who put their faith in Jesus. He was telling them and teaching them that um, they must complete a series of rituals, mainly circumcision, and follow specific Jewish laws in order to be saved, in order to become a Christian. The interesting thing is, this is contrary to the message of Jesus. This is contrary to what he taught when he walked on the earth, and it's contrary to what the apostles taught also. And in verses 7 through 10 is where he writes about this shift that took place in his life. He talks about the, quote, surpassing worth that comes from knowing Christ. It was no longer what he could do for God. It it was his passion to know God. So after his conversion, um, his goals shifted. He was no longer striving for perfection. Instead, he was striving to know God, to experience God in a real way. Um, and most commentators, um, really, really smart people that, that break down the Bible in the original language and write it and put it in terms that you and I can understand, most commentators agree that Paul is addressing this issue of perfection and using his own um, personal experience because there may have been uh, rumors that Paul had attained a certain level of righteousness and was this like pedestal Christian that had reached like full sanctity. Um, And here's the thing, not that Paul wasn't a person to follow or model your life after. He is a person to model your life after. I mean, he even said in a letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, um, to follow me as I follow Christ. And he's saying, meaning follow my example as I strive to be like Christ. And this was not the only place that Paul tells his readers that he has not yet arrived in his faith. And he's kind of tearing down this, this lie that he is, has achieved perfection. Actually, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he writes about this war that is within his spirit. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. So what we see here is Paul admits again that he is in the process of what um, is called progressive sanctification, which is the continual process of growing in, in obedience to God's word and allowing God's word and the spirit of God to change your life. And so if we continue to look at verse 12, we also notice that Paul says that he hasn't arrived at my Goal. So the question we need to ask ourselves then is, what is this goal that Paul is referencing? So if remember, if verses 1 through 11 and 12 through 16 are all connected, we need to go back to verses 1 through 11 and start reading it and ask ourselves, what is this goal that he was trying to achieve? Um, he says in verse 8, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Verse 9, to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or comes from the works that I do, but that which is through faith in Christ. And so he's saying that this is the goal that I'm working towards, to know Christ Jesus. Um, And so a question when I read passages like this, uh, a question that I often ask myself is, what does it mean to know God? And maybe you yourself have asked yourself this question, like, what does it mean to know God? What does Paul says, what does Paul mean when he says his goal is to know God and that he finds joy in the surpassing worth of knowing, excuse me, God? 
It's a great question if you're asking that question, because I ask myself that question a lot. And in the original, um, the original word to know in this context means knowledge is gleaned from firsthand experience. So reading this word in the original meaning in its original context would mean that Paul's goal is to know God in a personal way, and we know God in a personal way through the person of Jesus. Knowing God in a personal way comes from communion with God. And a phrase that often comes up um, uh, in this topic of knowing God is this phrase, fearing God. Just by a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever heard that phrase before? To fear God, the fear of the Lord. Okay, so a couple of us. Um, it comes up frequently when we're talking about knowing God. And uh, the fear of the Lord can be a confusing statement because it almost creates this idea that God feels distant, that God feels unknowable or cold. And it's interesting because we read verses elsewhere in the Bible that talks about how in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so sometimes we can feel like we have these conflicting views of who God is. So it's like, how can we know God in a personal way, but we're supposed to fear God? Um, So how do we reconcile those things? Um, Fearing God or having the fear of the Lord is not referencing fear in the ways that we often view Fear. Fearing God means having a reverence for the power, authority, and sovereignty of God. I want to share a quote with you that kind of paints this picture in a really clear way. It's kind of long, so if you want to remember it, maybe take a picture of it. It says, in the Bible, um, the word translated as fear can mean several things. It can refer to the terror one feels in a frightening situation. It can mean respect in the way a servant fears his master and serves him faithfully. Fear can also denote the reverence or awe a person feels in the presence of greatness. The fear of the Lord is a combination of all of these. Fear of the Lord can be defined as the continual awareness that our loving Heavenly Father is watching and evaluating everything we think, say, and do. Which is kind of terrifying to think about if you really boil it down. You're like, okay, the God of the universe is, um, can see everything that we do, um, is monitoring everything that we do. And that can feel interesting. But here's the thing. As we continually get to know Jesus, as we continually grow in our relationship with Jesus, we start to understand that it's less creepy than it sounds. Um, we see that Paul has this fear of the Lord. He has a healthy view of who God is, and he has the awareness of what God's role is in his life. So as we continue in verses 12 through 14, here is where Paul makes a shift and will begin talking about what we are to do as Christians when we have this desire to know God and to have the fear of the Lord. He says in verses 12 through 14, uh, Grady read it a moment ago, it says, but I press on. What does he press on towards? He says, he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul speaks of God taking hold of his life and making him a new creation. Paul talks about this in other, in other letters that he wrote. 
but he's taking who he was and rebirthing him into something else. And not in like a weird, like physical way. Like he didn't go back into his mother's womb, as you know, and get rebirthed. But it's in this spiritual way. Taking whom he was and making in him into whom God called him to be. So if we look back to part of the text that Zach preached last week, we see that Paul was forgetting what was behind and straining toward what was ahead. So what was behind him? Uh, He said he no longer focuses on what he once saw as important. In verse 5, that he was circumcised on the eighth day that he was an Israelite, that he was a tribe of Benjamin, that he was, per- it was perfect in the Jewish law. He was passionate about pursuing the Christian church. He was righteous because of the law. These are all of these things that Paul is, are, is behind Paul, and he's pushing away from these things. So these were of great importance in Paul's old life, but because of his faith in Jesus, he no longer focuses on those things and he presses forward in knowing who God is and having a personal relationship with him. Let me illustrate it this way. As human beings, we all have things that are important to us. Things that are important to us, they drive us to live a certain way, to do a certain thing. If our phone gets to 1%, what do we do? We do what they're doing over there, and we sit next to the wall and plug our phones in. Guys, you don't need to plug your phones in. Go back to your seat. Um, what, what it drives us when something is very, very, I'm serious, by the way. Um, when something is very, very important, you guys can wait. I promise you. It's fine if your phone dies. It'll probably be good for you. Oh, they hear me. They're just choosing to ignore me. Please, please get back to your seat. All right. Um, I've been gone for five weeks. I'm ready to go. Um, so um, when things are important to us, we do things a certain way. If health and fitness are important to you, what do you do? You work out. You eat healthy. You don't eat McDonald's all the time. Um, you, you eat, you're very conscious of the calories that you intake and the type of calories that you intake. It causes, these, these convictions cause you to live a certain way. Um, if being a great singer is important to you, that causes you to live a certain way and make certain decisions. If you want to be lazy and do nothing, this causes you to live a certain way and make certain choices, Right? You're like, oh, that homework doesn't really need to get done. Um, That project, uh, I'll just do it later, you know? What? You have one tomorrow? Oh, you start school tomorrow. That's unfortunate. I'm sorry. Shout out to all you guys who started on Tuesday. We'll be praying for you. But it's interesting, when something is important, we make it a priority. When something is important, we orient our life around that and we make decisions that uh, positively or negatively affect that. So Paul is teaching that because God has transformed him from his old life, his pursuit is now um, not to be swayed by his past, but he is to focus what is on ahead. Um, But here's the thing, the intent is not to completely forget the past. It's not what Paul is not saying that you do not remember your past life before your salvation, before you give your life to Jesus and he saves you. It's not that you forget those things, but those things are not the things that drive you. Let me share this quote with you. His name is Homer Kent. What a fantastic name this guy is. He says this, forgetting did not mean obliterating the memory of the past, 
but a conscious refusal to let them absorb his attention and impede his progress. He never allowed his Jewish heritage nor his previous Christian achievements to obstruct his running of the race. No present achievement could lull him into thinking he already possessed all Christ desired for him. So Paul is encouraging the Philippian Christians to never view themselves as arriving in their faith where they no longer need repentance, growth, or maturity. He's saying that there is no time in your life when you are not in need of Jesus. There will never be a time that you have learned enough and can stop learning. Becoming a pastor doesn't make you immune to growth or need forgiveness. Attending a church for years doesn't diminish your need for humility. Till the day we die, we live in a constant state of pursuing what God has for us. As Christians, our goal is to recognize the authority of God, to have reverence for that, and know that God also desires to personally work in us through the Holy Spirit. The goal is to be more like Christ, and the prize is to be with him, to use the language that Paul uses. So we're going to finish this sermon out with this. I want to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 again, but in a different translation, in the New Living Translation. I'm going to share the big idea with you, and then we'll dismiss to small groups. Philippians 3, 12 through 16, New Living Translation. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection with, for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, and perfection right there does not mean perfection in the sense it means like completion and maturity. Um, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So I want to leave you with the big idea, and it's this. We never arrive at full knowledge or understanding of God. As Christians, our pursuit of becoming more like Christ never ends. And that's the main point that we want you to leave with, and that's what we are going to discuss and talk about on a little bit deeper level in our small groups. And so before we dismiss to our small groups, just a a quick note. Um, Let's make sure that we're being courteous and respectful of other small groups. And so when you are gathered together in your circle, let's make sure that our conversation level um, and our laughter level um, is at a volume that's not obnoxious for the other people in the room. Um, This does look like kind of like a big room, but as soon as you start spreading out in groups of like 10, um, it can get pretty loud pretty quick. And also, if you finish early, let's make sure to be respectful of the groups that are still talking and meeting, and um, let's keep our kind of conversation and our rowdiness to like uh, very, very minimum and make sure that we give them time uh, to finish as well. And so also um, we are still in the grades that you ended in May, okay, or June or whatever it is. Next week we will be moving into our new grades, okay? So um, boys are in the back of the room, girls are in the front, high school is on this side of the room, uh, middle school is on this side of the room. Uh, Your small group leader will dismiss you when you're done.